ladies and gentlemen, welcome wrestling fans worldwide to Knoxville and the great Smoky Mountains for the Ron Fuller Tennessee Studcast. Six feet nine inches tall, 265 pounds. This historic podcast from one of the most respected and successful wrestlers and promoters will follow the footsteps of one of the largest and oldest wrestling families on the planet. The Tennessee Stud, Ron Fuller. Through 93 years and four generations. The Stud has arrived. Old school or new fan, this unique broadcast will educate and captivate as Ron details decades of professional wrestling's growth with truly unforgettable stories. I want those people out there at home to hear the stud. Sit back and enjoy the ride with the Tennessee Stud. The Tennessee Stud. You will learn that name. You will remember it. And now, the stud is here. Please welcome the creator of the popular 605 podcast and the president of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network, your co-host, the great Ryan Last. Hello again, friends. And welcome back to another edition of Ron Fuller's Studcast. I am the great Ryan Last. It's my pleasure to be with you once again as the Tennessee Stud takes us down that road of wrestling history, sharing with us his personal tales, his anecdotes, and his archaeological digs each and every week right here on the show. But without any further ado, before we get going with anything else, let me introduce him right now, the man of the hour, the host of the Studcast, the legendary Tennessee Stud himself. Ron Fuller. Ron, how are you today? I'm great, my man. Doing just fine. Real happy to be here. Uh, got a good one today, I think, again. Uh, we're digging into 75 here and halfway through the year and a lot going on. Uh, this is this is a good one. And I uh, really want to thank all those fans out there that keep listening to the program and obviously thank our patrons that that uh, support us so well, and it's just a real pleasure to be here and uh, have the opportunity to talk about my family's lifestyle and and what went on in the years that I was in this sport. And so, just ready to roll whenever you are. Horses all saddled up, and we're ready to we're ready to do some riding. And we got a long one today too, maybe. Well, it's going to be a long ride. So before we get going on that bumpy path, Ron, let me just say to the listeners: you mentioned the patrons before. Thank you to all the patrons. And for the patrons of the Studcast, right now, Super Studcast number 21 is available with Brutus the Barber Beefcake, or you may know him as Dizzy Ed Golden, or you may know him as Dizzy Ed Boulder, or perhaps you know him as just Brutus Beefcake, the Zodiac Brother Brutai. He had a million names, and we talk about at least half of them on the latest Super Studcast. We'll have more information about it later in the show, but check it out today, tnstud.com or patreon.com slash studcast for only $2.99 you get in the door this is a lot of fun more fun than I thought it was going to be to be quite honest with you check it out today but Ron where are we going today right here on the studcast well Brian we got a lot of riding to do today Uh, we're going to open up with my attorney uh, happy with a hundred thousand dollar lawsuit where Danny Hodge forced Dale Lewis to to hurt a mark in the $1,000 challenge match between Lewis and anyone in the crowd that we were doing in 1975, early 1975, and uh, and uh, trying to make my attorney happy, and I, I finally do a little bit. We're headed in that direction. 
Uh, then we can begin my turn from heel to babyface on the outstanding card of July 25th, 1975. That's the only card we'll talk about today other than a benefit card. Uh, that night sees the first ever Southeastern Wrestling Steel Cage match. And as far as I know, the first ever, maybe, period, loser shaves his mustache match in history uh, on that same card. Uh, and we're going to look at the uh, look at the TV to support the card uh, and the results of the matches on July 25th, and then we're going to break down the payoff. Uh, we'll discuss my brother's return and why he's back in Knoxville for the first time in three months since the third Coliseum show. We'll cover the huge Ed Wolf benefit card in Kingsport, Tennessee, on July 27th, two days after the Knoxville event in 1975. And uh, that's to help with the young wrestler's recovery when he lost a leg at the hip uh, just three weeks earlier and uh, on July 1st. So uh, when and then we're going to finish up with some digging in my archaeological career. Since you mentioned that, we're going to throw in a little digging on the end. But uh, if you're ready, my man, uh, let's just uh, see if we can... Uh, Get this thing rolling and uh, and see how it goes here. All right, let's do it. Let's saddle up, I guess you would say. I've never been on a horse. I guess that's what you would say. That's exactly it, my man. Uh, you saddled up, you know, and, um, and we're going to ride right now, okay? So uh, as I mentioned several times earlier, especially in episodes prior to this one, about uh, the $100,000 lawsuit against Southeastern Wrestling and myself and my attorney uh, having the idea that he I need to turn babyface uh, before this goes to trial. Uh, so I'm trying to accommodate him in that request. And uh, so I'm going to be uh, leaving. Uh, and then to, on top of all this, Jimmy Golden comes to me on July 24th, the night before the Knoxville event, and uh, asked me if he can give me a one-month notice and leave toward the end of August 1975. Uh, that means... That I'm going to have only two top baby faces at that point, Ron Wright and Tommy Siegler, uh, once Golden goes. And that's really not enough to make me feel real comfortable. So I'm about to make the day for my attorney because I, I'm really then strongly feeling that I need to make the move from heel to baby face. I've got a great group of heels at this point. I've got the assassin who's over. I've got Rock Hunter who's over. I have new heels. Norvell Austin, Carl Von Steiger, and Otto Von Heller, all going to arrive in August. I didn't want to turn myself babyface instantly, but in a series of matches that would leave me a heel until late August when Jimmy Golden came. That was my plans. And uh, how to do this heel turn over a period of time was difficult, and it took a lot of thought. This type of thinking for a booker was very important. I had to do this right and blow the fans' minds in the process uh, great bookers were never outfigured by the fans. Bookers stayed two to four weeks ahead of fans if they wanted to keep the company's business going in the right direction. When you worked an angle to turn a heel, babyface, or vice versa, it had to be perfect. Or you not only lost a top heel, but also failed to create a top babyface. If you failed to do everything properly, in essence, you had eliminated the top guy from drawing money in the future because you ended up killing the goose before she laid the golden egg. Uh, that was disastrous for territories, and it made bookers fear turning wrestlers one way or the other. Uh, so I, this is my first experience at turning 
from heel to baby face and actually having the opportunity to do it in the way I wanted to. I wanted to make sure I was going to do it right. So, Ron, I remember you saying when you decided to make yourself heel when you bought Knoxville, that's when you grew your mustache out. Is that why all of a sudden you're open to being in a match where your mustache is at stake because you know that you're going to need a top baby face and it's going to have to be you more than likely? There you go. I mean, it all works out. Uh, I see it coming. I'm making up my mind that I'm going to have to make this move from heel to baby face. Uh, it's hard to do with you. Got a big old bushy mustache and you got a lot of hair. And <laughs> you, don't you, think you, like you, you don't think you could have done it with the mustache? Uh, yeah, probably I could have. <laughs> but I wanted to look like the baby face before I actually became the baby face because I, I thought it would help me to get over as a baby face. So uh, I'm going to begin my turn from heel to baby face on the card of July 25th, 1975, the night Jimmy... Uh, the night after Jimmy gave me the notice, my brother's on that card sent over from Nashville where he's working for Jerry Jarrett at this point. Uh, and he had not been in Knoxville since April 27th on the third Coliseum card. And uh, let's take a look at that entire card for July 25th, 1975. The first two matches involved the outlaws as singles in their last night ever in Southeastern Ken Dillinger versus Les Thatcher and Cowboy Parker versus Mr. Wrestling who I could not remember in the last studcast who it was, but I have now been informed by a good friend uh, that uh, it was Don Green, who was a very good worker uh, out of Nashville, been in Nashville for many, many years, and uh, was a great worker. He made a darn good wrestling, too, and uh, he was a great star. Uh, he and his brother, he worked with Al Green for many years. So this is he's at a point here where he's working as a single. He decides to put on the hood. Because Mr. Wrestling has become a big name, one and two at this point, uh, it just makes sense for somebody to have a Mr. Wrestling in Tennessee, and that's who Don Green turns out to be. Third match of that night's Jimmy Golden and my brother for the first time Second time ever for Southeastern uh, versus Rock Hunter and Sputnik Monroe. There's a ladies match on this card with Penny Banner against Bell Star and a double main event headline with Ron and Don Wright and a handicap match against yours truly. You know, and there's special stipulation in this match that's going to be added on TV the following day. We'll get to that a little bit later in the program. Second main event was a steel cage match with Tommy Siegler versus the assassin this was in my opinion the best card yet for southeastern and Chilhowee park these two main events need a little more discussion though uh john kazana never really had a a real cage for cage matches he used a chicken wire fence around the ring but i felt that southeastern needed an actual cage and i might as well get it done at this point because i knew i was going to need one sooner or later I needed to have the best when it came to something as important as a, as a cage. And, uh, and I wanted a real cage for those type of matches. A brand new cage which around the ring on July 25th, 1975. My match with both Wright brothers was now of great importance because of the notice from Jimmy Golan. I looked at the entire card and I saw the answer to my finish that night with the name of my brother, Robert Fuller. Uh, so we'll get to that after we talk about the TV the following day uh, of the TV on July 19th that promoted this card on the 25th. So I'm going to get my brother involved in the actual finish and uh, 
and it's going to work out really good as as it as it's set up. So I'd missed the night of July 18th uh, last week. I uh, was talking about that because I was required to stay at a meeting of the archaeological department of the University of Tennessee, literally a meeting in the field at Manchester, Tennessee, where we were digging in in artifacts. And I had the very capable Jody Hamilton, the assassin, run the Knoxville matches for me that night. Uh, we recorded his match uh, with Tommy uh, Siegler, refereed by Jimmy Golden, used it on the TV the following day. That And I'm there for that TV that day. I'm able to come home on late Friday night, and I'm there for TV, and I'll also uh, be available to work in another town if necessary. That TV opened with the assassin escorted the ring again by Rock Hunter versus Dean Ball. And for those who have not noticed, or those that have noticed, it's becoming clear to all the fans that the assassin and Rock Hunter were very close, much closer than the assassin was with me, even though we are the Tennessee Tag Champions. Uh, we've had a several weeks here, a lot of time, in which I have not had any interaction with the assassin and had single matches. And he's had single matches, but he's always seen with Rock Hunter. In fact, the assassin and I had not worked together as partners in Knoxville since July 4th. So that's going to play perfectly into what will happen as I move toward becoming a babyface. Uh, this was a short match, and both the assassin and Rock Hunter again set, went to the set with Les to watch the wild main event from the night before, where Jimmy Golden was a special referee for Assassin and Tommy Siegler's match. They watched and commented as Jimmy Golden caught the assassin using a foreign object on Siegler. Uh, when Golden and the assassin struggled with each other for control of that foreign object, Siegler rolled the assassin up from behind and Golden counted him out. After he raised Siegler's hand, Rock Hunter hit the ring and attacked Golden. That brought others to the ring, and the ring ended up almost filled with wrestlers that night. Uh, thus, the reason for the cage match the following week which is obviously going to stop all interference from outside the ring. So both heels left the set, uh, both the assassin and Hunter, and Les called for a commercial break. Afterward, Tommy Siegler joins Les at the set for the first interview of the show. Tommy thanked the promoters for putting the assassin and himself in the cage, which perfectly led Les into talking about the construction of the actual steel cage for the first time ever in Knoxville wrestling history. Tommy finished beautifully with a question for the fans. Uh, and his question was, uh, what did the studio fans think might happen if he put the assassin to sleep in the cage and left him there without waking him up like the assassin had done to the job boy on the week before this television program when Siegler had to go out to the ring and wake him up on television? Uh, the crowd popped. You know, that was a great little way for him to finish. He left that little idea with the fans that this is something that could happen because of this match, that I might put the assassin to sleep and not wake him up and leave him in the cage. Second match was Ron Wright versus Big Tony Peters. I was back in Knoxville and already dressed to wrestle when I went to the set with Thatcher to watch this match. I spent most of the match making fun of Ron and Don Wright's bald heads horrible mustaches, how damned ugly they were, and how pretty I was. I was loving it. I left the set when the match finished, and Ron Wright joined Les two minutes later when the commercial break was over. I was booked on the card for the next Friday night against Ron and his brother 
in a two-against-one handicap match and all the studio fans had seen the card on the Vitafont during the first interview segment. Ron Wright had already heard about the nasty things I'd said about him during his match previously to that interview, and uh, he had a pair of barber shears cutting hair with him. So he started right away, challenged me to up the ante on our handicap match for the next Friday and agreed to a hair-versus-hair match with me. Uh, and he turned on the shears for the sound effect as the interview was running out, and he finished with, uh, Can you just imagine how ugly Ron Fuller be when he got no hair? You know, well, the crowd popped, and the controversy started right at that point. Now he suggested that everybody's going to have a little time during this program to think about it. The personality profile is the next segment, obviously, and it's scheduled to be Rock Hunter alone, but again, the assassin turns up with him. Les tried to keep them on track, talk about their families and who trained them, but they just kept referring to the assassin's upcoming cage match with Tommy Siegler and how the assassin had never lost a cage match in his entire career. That led to another piece of edited video that fit perfectly with what the assassin wanted to talk about, the cage. Les and I had arranged for a video to be shot in stages as they built this cage for us and edited together to be used on the show in this segment. It took about a minute and a half, and it was very dramatic as it showed each part of the construction of a 10-foot-high, 20-foot square steel cage. The assassin and hunter quieted as the video went along and started screaming as it was about to end. They were so impressed and concerned at the same time, describing that cage that they had just seen as totally impregnable and inescapable. Les finished with a smile on his face saying, it's wonderful to hear you guys saying that because that's exactly what the promoters for Southeastern Wrestling had in mind. He then followed up with a great question. Since his cage, as you guys said, looks impenetrable and inescapable, what happens if Siegler does manage to do what he said earlier in the show, puts his ass in the sleep, and no one can get into the cage to wake him up? They both shut up and just looked at each other with no answer. Let's just quickly close the profile. I thought it was a great personality for a profile. It just really fit well with what we were doing. This is a pretty hot episode because you have the two opening angles and then you would think it would slow it down with personality profile, but then you get this personality profile with a really great ending. What do you, how do you follow this all up, Ron? Well, uh, we're going to go with the third match is going to be Tommy Siegler getting a win with his sleeper hold over Rocky Smith, followed by the assassin and rock hunter again, joining less after the commercial break. This is their time when they can actually do an interview. This time the assassin and hunter they're ready for less. He's not going to stump them with a question at the end this time. They started on him right away. They accused him of being a biased commentator and said he had no business sitting in the seat he was in on that set. They pointed out that he was on the card for next Friday and just hoped he would ha somehow just end up around that cage that night. The assassin ended the interview with the cold and calculating attitude he always exhibited. He, bringing up, he brought up the possibility of rather than his being left to die in the cage after being put in the sleeper hole and not woke up, uh, as Les had already brought to their attention in the personality profile, what would happen if it was the assassin sleeper that won the match in the cage and Siegler was a guy left there helpless and unconscious. 
that really was a nice little touch too. The fans, instead of roaring as they had been, kind of quieted down like, well, wait a minute, There's, this could end just exactly the opposite way. So all that was good. It really kept putting this emphasis on the first ever Southeastern cage match. The last segment of the TV was my turn to get some heat in the ring. I suplex, drop kick, and pile drive the job boy. And every time I had him covered, I pulled him up. And the referee got on me, uh, and it was driving the fans crazy. And when I would pull him up, I would stand up and brush back my beautiful hair, smile into the camera, you know, just pushing the hair deal. I finally put my hair and my fuming mad fuller leg lock on him at the end of the match. And while I was on my back and helpless to defend myself, the two rights hit the ring with their barber shears. They stomped me off the job boy. They pounded me down with their fist. And then Don Wright full Nelson me while his brother Ron took a big handful of my hair and cut it off with his barber shears. The crowd now is going crazy at that point. Uh, they both left the ring. And, uh, you know, and I, had to, I, had to, I went straight to the set with Les immediately following the match. I was out of control, and you know, and they and they snipped off a lot more of my hair than I really wanted them to. So I truly was out of control, and I started with, <laughs> and I started what it, with what had just happened. How ugly both these two guys were, and to have them take one lock of my beautiful hair, I said, was devastating to me. I said I would never put up my hair against two guys at once in a handicap match, especially when the two guys didn't have a full head of hair between the two of them. <laughs> you know, they're talking about cutting my hair off and they don't have any hair, you know? So the, you know, and I kind of liked that line, but Les pushed right away. He asked me the question right off and I didn't expect it. And he goes, well, what would you put up? And I stumbled with a quick answer and he repeated the question. He repeated it again right away. What would you put up, Ron? And I blurted out, uh, I, uh, I, uh, uh, I would, I would, I would, I would put up my mustache, <laughs> which, which, uh, you know, was, which has been my trademark for many years. And, uh, and, uh, you know, and I stormed and the crowd went crazy. Like they loved it. Oh, he'll put up his mustache. That'd be great. You know? So I'd, I'd kind of lock myself in. Les kind of got me into the spot and I locked myself in. I stormed off the set and the Wright brothers shored up showed up two minutes later after the commercial break, and it's their turn for this last interview. And they've got that clump of my hair and the studio audience out there on fire. And they're laughing and, and could hardly speak. Uh, the studio crowd was so loud, you couldn't have heard them if they had been speaking. I mean, they were really into it. And when the crowd got a little more quiet, Ron Wright took over. Turning to Les, he asked, uh, Mr. Thatcher, uh, did you say we could put his mustache up against our mustaches and uh les says yes that that's what he said basically and and uh ron looked at his brother and he says donnie are you willing as i am to do that and donnie says damn right ron let's put up our mustaches and ron looked at les and said book that match for next friday night add to it that the winner gets to do the honors and trim the loser's mustache when it's all over and uh, they stormed off the set, and the studio audience is still going crazy. I was as inspired as the crowd in that studio trying to guess the house the following Friday. Uh, it was really, really, in my opinion at that point, a darn good television program that made a lot of sense. Ron, do you have a conversation before you shoot your angle and you say, listen, guys, one snip, 
and then you're done. You said they went a little overboard. Talk about what you plan out in advance when it comes to scissors and your hair. Oh, well, you know, I never, I never really, I never cut my hair in a hair match and I never really had a hair match. And I told him, I said, you guys got these shears. I said, you can take a little hair here, but not too much, you know? Well, <laughs> yeah, you know, they're wrestlers, man. They got an opportunity and Hey, we got him. You know, I can hear Don talking to Ron talking to Don in the dressing room back there and go, Donnie, we got him. He, you got him hooked up there. Let's cut off a big old hunk of it. <laughs> and they did, and they got a big laugh out of it. Uh, I didn't like it too much, but it got over, and uh, and it's going to make me a little money, and I can lose some hair for a little bit of money. That's the darn. <laughs> that's the bottom line, I guess, at that point. Well, yeah, I'll tell you what, Ron, you wouldn't be the only person that lost some hair for some money in wrestling. And on that topic, let's go to this break right now with a word about the latest Super Stud Cast, Super Stud Cast number 21, part one with Brutus the Barber Beefcake. The Stud takes us each month on a new ride in a completely different direction with each Super Studcast at tnstud.com or patreon.com slash studcast. All four of his wrestling companies, two Southeasterns, a Continental, and his USA Championship Wrestling produce so much more than just great matches and entertainment. These great wrestling companies were also wrestling factories, often discovering talented newcomers, training them, and turning them into tremendous stars. Super Studcast number 21 part one focuses on two handsome young men from tampa florida that came to southeastern pensacola in the late 1970s and early 80s upon arrival they both assumed the last name of boulder terry boulder went on to become hulk hogan and the other called eddie boulder would have the whole wrestling world going crazy for him when he became brutus the barber beefcake with the wwf this super stud cast is just that as eddie takes us on a remarkable journey of how young wrestlers become great wrestlers and how terrible accidents can instantly take it all away at tnstud.com or patreon.com slash studcast only $2.99 for three phenomenal hours of fascinating wrestling history that is every super studcast there you hear it the latest super studcast part one of super studcast number 21 with Brutus the Barber Beefcake. Find out what happens when the Tennessee stud goes strutting and a cutting with Brutus the Barber Beefcake. I can't believe I just said that here on the show. But it's a really great conversation. It's not about just the WWF. It's about Brutus in Southeastern, starting out as Ed Boulder, even Dizzy Golden, actually, at the very beginning. But find out all about that and so much more. This really was a lot of fun. Of course, we also talk about the parasailing accident. In great detail. You got to hear this. The Tennessee stud, I don't think I ever heard the whole story before. And he finds out right from Brutus what happened July 4th, 1990. TNstud.com or Patreon.com slash studcast. Only $2.99 gets you right in the door. But Ron, we'll have more news about that later in the show. Let's get back to July 1975 and the card in Knoxville, July 25th, 1975. Yeah, what I'd like to do now is give the people results of that card. Uh, obviously, they've they've heard about the television and how we promoted it. So in this first match, Mr. Wrestling, who is Don Green, uh, beat Cowboy Parker. Les Thatcher won over Ken Dillinger in the second event. And uh, both 
of those opening matches were very good matches. I was really surprised. Lots of times when you've got guys that are leaving, they don't want to give you everything they can, but these guys did. That night, uh, they left in with me in good standing. Uh, Robert Fuller and Jimmy Golden won over Rock Hunter and Sputnik Monroe in a great tag match. Uh, it was Rob and Jimmy's first ever tag team match for Southeastern Wrestling. They would have several hundred more as a tag team over the next 14 years uh, for this company. Uh, Penny Banner won her match over Bell Star and in a very good ladies match. And and I got to say, I always thought Penny Banner was, was maybe the second best lady wrestler of that time behind only Moolah, who was training all those girls in those days and, uh, and taking care of uh, sending you some of the best. Uh, Penny Banner was really, really good. Uh, Tommy Siegler beat the assassin in that first ever Southeastern steel cage match. And uh, now I want to spend a little time talking about this, mustache match uh, with Ron Wright and his brother because it was a it will have a great bearing on the future of Southeastern wrestling. I lost in the handicap match against both Wright brothers. It was the first stage in my turn from heel to babyface. I knew I needed to shave my bushy mustache uh, to get my face clean and to make me more handsome to start the process of looking like a baby face even before I became a baby face. Uh, it was how we accomplished that in conjunction with this match that was really different. It was a hard-fought match. I had Don Wright bleeding and beat him first. I was selling and pretty blown up by then. About 15 minutes into the match, I had no partner against two opponents. Ron Wright charged into the ring as soon as the bell rang after his brother Don was pinned. Ron started to come back on me while Don Wright was still sailing outside the ring. Ron sent me into the ring's turnbuckle in the corner, charged in after me, and I dropped down and scooped his feet out from under him. The ref dropped to count him out, and I threw my feet up on the second rope to get more leverage for an illegal pin when the referee got his, got his, got his count started. So uh, Don Wright was near that corner, still selling on the outside of the ring, and he reached up and knocked my feet off the ropes, allowing his brother to kick out of the hole. I got up and turned to Don on the floor, and the ref came over and motioned for Don to leave the ring area. Ron Wright was behind me at this point. He got his gimmick out of his tights. Thank goodness it wasn't a chisel. And when I turned for him, he nailed me with it while the ref was still trying to get his brother Don to leave ringside. The ref never saw Ron hit me with it and turned around just as I went down and Ron covered me. I'm laying close to the ropes. The ref started counting me out. And again, I put my foot on the rope, but this time it's illegal. I'm trying to save myself from losing. Uh, about the count of two, I threw my foot over on the bottom rope to stop the count. And Don Wright's still there and he reaches over and knocked my foot off the rope. The ref didn't see it, and he counts me out. The crowd went crazy because I had lost. Now they're going to get to see what they came to see. So the stipulations of the match were the winner got to shave the loser's mustache. Uh, Don Wright came back into the ring, and he and his brother had a huge celebration to the crowd's delight. Scissors, shaving cream, and a razor was brought to the ring and handed to Don to Ron Wright. Uh, I got out. I got up. I was still a little groggy from the end of the match and, and blown up and the Wright brothers were facing each other and arguing with each other over who was going to get to shave my mustache. The ref had, had them uh, put a chair in the ring for me to sit in while they were going to shave me, sit down so I could be shaved. 
But things seemed to be happening all over the ring all at once, and the crowd was still roaring their approval at the outcome when I when I saw my spot, and I hit Ron Wright from behind with a drop kick that sent him into his brother, Don, face first. They both went down. The crowd went suddenly silent. The big celebration was quickly over. I took the chair from the referee instead of sitting, opening it up and sitting on it, uh, and I grabbed him after I took the chair and threw him over the top rope. Now I got control of the deal. I got two rights laying on the floor in the ring, and I've got a chair. So the rights are slowly regaining their feet, and that's when uh, that's when it was my turn to uh, to take care of business. <laughs> so so uh, uh, as, as they slowly regaining their feet, I put that chair to good use. I blasted both of them with it. And then I threw both of them over the top rope. And I strutted all around the ring, screaming as loud as I could, no one here is going to shave my mustache. And the fans were now booing like crazy, wildly booing, man, uh, as I started to leave the ring. But I was met when I got on the apron by the first of many baby faces that are going to arrive at the ring to see to it that I get my mustache shaved. And the first one that met me there was Don Green, Mr. Wrestling. He started in the ring to stop me from leaving, and I grabbed him and ran him to the far side of the ring and threw him over the top rope. Now, Ron Wright is finally back on his feet, and he started coming back in the ring, and I got him with another chair shot. He's crawling in on his hands and knees. I let him have it. He just rolled right back out on the floor again. I guess he's happy to be there. Pretty stiff shot with a chair. Uh, then he went right back to concrete. Les Thatcher stops me next time I'm trying to leave the ring. And again, he gets the sail over the top rope, just as Mr. Wrestling had. I grabbed Don right now, who's trying to get back up on the floor and trying to get back in the ring. And I drag him in and throw him over the top rope on the opposite side of the ring. Now I'm headed out of the ring for sure this time, I think. And then guess who? Jimmy Golden shows up. God, dog. I grab him and I top rope him and... By now, the crowd is just furious. They're going crazy and just screaming, somebody's got to cut his mustache. I can hear him out there. And uh, I head for the dressing room again, and then it happened. You know, that glorious moment for the fans when they see the next baby face from the dressing room arrive at the ring, and that's none other than my brother, Robert. Uh, he's greeted with a roar from the crowd. Uh, they realize that he's probably got the best chance of anybody to get this done because he's my brother and they 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 think that I'm not going to hurt him. So I threatened to hit him with the chair when he's on the apron, but he starts shaking his head no and telling me someone has to do this, Ron. And I finally let him inside the ring. Uh, I'm still knocking the other guys off the ring. They're still trying to get in the ring. I don't want him to get in the ring. He's in there, but... uh. I'm still uh, knocking them off the apron, and they continue as they try to get in the ring. But uh, I never touch Rob. Finally, the referee gets back in, and he takes the chair away from me, and he places it in the middle of the ring. And Rob gets me this, this gets in my face, and and we have a pretty stiff argument there, face to face. And the crowd gets up again, thinking that 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 we may go at it, but we don't. I don't hit him. He doesn't touch me. I finally sit down in the chair, and all those baby faces that I tossed over the top rope, they stay there and surround the ring to make sure that I'm not going to escape. 
and uh, they begin to, Rob begins to shave my mustache. Uh, you know, I, it, you know, what a, it was, it was kind of the perfect finish. I mean, uh, he's he, out of this finish, he becomes a top baby face in one night. He gets over by doing something that probably couldn't happen in many other cities anywhere in wrestling. And uh, then at the, and at, and then at the same time, I lose my heat, which I want to. I end up with a clean-shaven face. And now I'm in a much better position to switch to babyface when that time comes. And it's going to come pretty soon. Okay, a couple questions, Ron. I know from various matches where the loser has to have their head shaved that often there's a problem where because of perspiration, because of the wetness of the hair, that the shears won't work. That there's a problem actually finishing the stipulation. I've seen it happen before. I saw Jim Cornette have trouble cutting Chris Candido's hair in Johnson City, Tennessee in 1994. Any issues at all with a mustache? Any issue at all taking it off after wrestling a match? Yes. Yes, it was difficult. It, obviously, I've been in the ring at that point probably 25 minutes and uh, wrestling two guys most of that time and sweating like crazy. It's uh, late July uh, in, in, in the South and humid as heck, and yeah, there was a lot of problem. In fact, uh, that's why they brought scissors, and uh, whoever sent the scissors was pretty smart because Rob wasn't able to put the the shaving cream on the mustache itself and shave it that way, uh, and he had a little struggle here and a little struggle there, and finally he took those scissors and clipped it back quite a bit down to it was pretty close and short mustache. And then he put the cream on and obviously he was able to finish up the shaving. But, uh, wow, that's a great moment in, in wrestling, uh, hair being shaved. Uh, I don't know if there's ever been a mustache shaving match other than <laughs> this one. I've never heard of it anywhere else. Never seen it before, but, uh, it was my idea. I didn't want to lose the hair, but I needed to lose the mustache. It all worked out good because it really got Rob over uh, because he's the guy that came in and actually got it done and didn't have that much problem doing it. And at the same time, I got that clean shaven face. I got that baby face look and I'm about to become a baby face in the next week or so. Uh, things are really, really going to happen in the next couple of weeks in August that are going to change things for continental for uh, Southeastern and, uh, and it, it will be a tremendous night uh, the following week as well. So you lose your mustache. I understand that. To be a babyface, you want to lose your mustache. Did you have to lose your heat to be a babyface? Well, I don't think you have to, when you're a heel, lose your heat. But I do believe that it it makes some sense to take a little heat off of a heel prior to change switching him over. Uh, sometimes a heel can have so much heat that you try to make that switch and, uh, and the people don't buy it. They still hate him so badly that, that, uh, it doesn't work. And boy, when you going to trade, you know, that just imagine dusty roads as an example in 1974 in Florida, uh, top heel, but, uh, they started to beat him some right before they did the switch with him. And, uh, I, I watched that and, you know, I was a young guy at that point. I paid a lot of attention to matches, 
at that point, I wanted, I was looking for a future as being a booker and a, being an owner of a company. I wanted to learn everything I could. I watched how uh, Bill Watts handled that as the booker, and he started to beat Dusty about two or three weeks before he actually made the switch. Dusty stopped winning matches as a heel. And I, I I wanted to ask Bill about it because Bill and I had a great relationship. I said, "What what's this all about? I mean, why why is Dusty? I didn't know he was going to switch him babyface, uh, but you know, I, I asked asked the Booker. I went right to the man. I said, "Hey, uh, why is Dusty losing matches here? Uh, you know." Uh, and then he says, "I'm going to turn him babyface, and and I want to take some heat off of him before I do it." because it's going to make it easier to turn him babyface. So I kind of remembered that, and I used that, utilized that for this turn with me. And this turn with me is going to be different than the turn in Memphis. When I was the heel there, and Rob and Dad were working there as babyfaces, and I turned there because of my brother and my father. But this turn in Knoxville, when it happens, is not going to be family-related. It's going to be personal between me and two other heels. And uh, that, there's a big difference there. So that's my was my thinking on it, and I felt comfortable with it. And actually, the turn really worked smoothly. Was Rob excited about the idea of shaving your mustache? Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, you know... Uh, you know, when you do a, a finish like this, uh, everybody that's involved, uh, you, you've got to sit there and talk to all of them. Everybody has to know what the what you're trying to accomplish here and what their part is. And, you know, Rob didn't know his part until the end. You know? And I said, well, here comes you come first, Mr. Wrestling. I'm going to do this. You come next. Uh, uh, and you know, the, uh, different guys uh, tell him. And by the time I got to Rob, He's looking at me like, well, what the hell are you going to do to me? <laughs> so, so I, and then when I say, hey, but you're Rob, you're, I'm not going to do anything to you. You're going to cut the mustache. Oh, he was like, oh, man. He, he, <laughs> he, his back got real stiff. His head got high in the air. My golly, listen, look at me. I'm going to get over. Right? So, and that's what happened. You know, it was really crazy. It's, a, it's amazing what you can do. When you're looking for a the vehicle that you need to get you somewhere from one week to the next, to switch from babyface to heel, whatever it is, uh, it's amazing when you can come up with a great finish that does accomplishes what that finish accomplished by leaving Rob a bigger babyface than he ever was or ever would be there. And, uh, and at the same time, start to take that heat off of me, uh, turn me into a more handsome guy, uh, I mean, I, I thought that finish just accomplished everything I could possibly wanted that night. What In terms of accomplishments, did you accomplish what you hoped for at the gate? How did the show do? The show was great. Uh, the house on July 25th, 1975, was close to that July 4th big house uh, that was around 4,000 people. This one was about 3,800 fans. It grossed about $11,400. Uh, 28% of that was about $3,200 for the total payoff, uh, for the total payroll. Uh, there were 15 total wrestlers and one referee to pay, not counting me. My money still being split among everyone else on the card, 
that makes everybody's payoff a little bit better than what it normally would be. The bottom people, the two ladies, uh, Parker, Dillinger, Don Green, Thatcher, and the referee all got about 140, and the top eight guys got about 275. Uh, it was a good night for the boys, and it was a really good night for Southeastern. Things were beginning to fall in place for my turn from heel to babyface, and my brother, like I said earlier, got over big time on his on just his second appearance for Southeastern Wrestling. And uh, that was a very good thing for both Rob and Southeastern because he's going to become an every weekend talent for me while working for Jared. He's actually working for Jared when he comes here to this show, but uh, Jared sends him to me on the weekends. There was an arrangement that we and I, he and I had talked about. And uh, so yeah, uh, he it Rob got over and he's going to be there pretty regularly. And uh and it's good for Southeastern because I got my first major injury soon afterward. And since I began wrestling more than five years, it was the first time I really had a bad injury. And in and in fact, with Rob being brought in at this particular time frame, he's gonna be able to step right in and take my place as soon as I get hurt and continue to keep Southeastern rolling in a spot in which if it hadn't happened that way, uh, we would have lost another good heel and we wouldn't have gained the baby face that I turned out to be. And it would have just been probably devastating. You're in the fall of the year. You're going into a bad time of the year. And it would have potentially been devastating for Southeastern Wrestling had Rob not been booked on that card, had we not done that mustache match, had he not been the guy to cut the mustache. It's uh, For a lot of reasons, it was a great night for both he and Southeastern Wrestling. Well, Ron, you mentioned it at the beginning. Why don't you tell us about that benefit show for Ed Wolf? And, of course, for those of you that don't remember, we talked about Ed a few weeks back, a young wrestler from Kingsport, I believe trained by Ron Wright, a freak accident in a match. He's thrown to the floor. A wooden chair collapses under him, cuts his leg in a way. Uh, actually, what exactly happened? Did it slice an artery or did it just go into his leg, Ron? Well, the, the piece of wood from the chair actually went through his, his uh, calf. And, uh, and it hit an artery when it did, and uh, obviously that created a lot of blood. Uh, and obviously, when you got a piece of wood sticking through your leg, it, you, you're not smart to grab it and pull it out, you know. Uh, so it was a terrible injury. And, uh, you know, the, you can imagine, the, from what I heard and people told me, that blood was, was uh, shooting up uh, four or five feet in the air, like it was coming out of some type of fountain. It was just really, really an awful scene and uh, a horrible way to to lose a leg. Just, a, just an unbelievable event. So, and, and as I said before, this event is was a great example of what the wrestling business at that time was all about. Wrestlers cared for each other. They looked out for each other uh, back in those days. Uh, this was a huge card on this, and it's a Sunday. Uh, just two days after the Knoxville card that we just talked about, this this event takes place in Kingsport, in his hometown of Kingsport, Tennessee, in Dobbins Bennett. There's a big high school gymnasium there. They held a lot of people, and this card was held in that gym, and the proceeds all went to benefit uh, Ed Wolf. Uh, and, uh, you know, bear in mind that there were very few matches in, on Sunday. 
in the state of Tennessee during this time. And everyone on that card, every wrestler on that card, and I think there were 28 of them. I uh, don't remember the exact number. Uh, I think it was 26, 28 guys. Uh, and every one of them on that card was off that day and uh, took their time to get in the car and drive from wherever they had to drive. And some of those people came from pretty good distance away to 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 do this for a young guy like that had, had suffered that dramatic and traumatic injury. So uh, let, let me just uh, go over that card of the July the 27th. Uh, Tony Peters uh, was against Jerry Myatt. Uh, Tony Peters won that match. Dave Connors was against, I think it was his brother, oddly enough, uh, Rick Connors. And, uh, and he won. Dave Connors beat his brother by DQ. And, uh, and I think uh, they got into a pretty close to a shoot. <laughs> they got into it, and it turned out to be good. I watched some of that, and I was like, I believe those boys are shooting. <laughs> and the referees had to stop the match. So that was a great little match, second match in. Uh, George Harris, the 300-pound baby blimp uh, who trained with my dad and Lester, uh, my dad's uncle, in 1948, uh, born in Dyersburg, Tennessee, the same town my brother and I were born in. Uh, he wrestled against uh, Big Phil Hickerson. And he won by DQ over Phil Hickerson. Art Nelson, great talent, an old shooter, uh, came to this show, worked uh, worked at it, uh, on it as well, and had a draw with Frank Morrell, who was a local guy, also trained by Ron Wright. Uh, I beat DeVoy Brunson in my match. Uh, I pinned him. Uh, Rocky Smith and Norvell Lawson beat Rocket Monroe and Mr. Suzuki. Chris Colt and Mike Boyer, the same two guys that were in that tag match in which Ed Wolf lost that leg, they were they were there for the benefit deal, and they uh, they wrestled against uh, Rocky Smith and, and Buddy Diamond, won by DQ. Uh, Cowboy Parker and Ken Dillinger, the two guys that were leaving me two days earlier, they came and worked this uh, this benefit show. They beat Ron and Don Wright via DQ. Tojo Yamamoto and Tommy Rich beat Carl Von Steiger and Otto Von Heller in a DQ. And as you can see, uh, there's a theme here. Every match just about on this card is a DQ match, except for my win, which was pretty much in the middle of the ring. In the main event, uh, which was a 26-man over-the-top rope battle royal, uh, was won by Tojo Yamamoto and Tommy Rich. They shared the victory because they were tag partners. They ended up the last two men in the ring. They shared the victory, and they shared the, the money. But then they obviously gave the money back to Ed Wolf. Uh, this event was added to other contributions for Ed Wolf that came to well over $10,000 in a little more than three weeks after he was injured in that bad accident. Uh, how much is that, Brian, in today's money, that $10,000? Uh, $10,000 would be just under $48,000 today. Pretty nice little check, you know, and, you know, uh, so, you know, they, they, like I said, it's just truly amazing what wrestling was like in those days and how much guys cared about each other. And, you know, it was it happened so much in so many places when a guy's got hurt and when something bad happened to somebody, uh, these benefit shows. This is a great example. You got 26 guys here and they come from 
lot of different places in the country to be a part of this event. And it just says a lot for wrestling back in those days and for wrestlers back in those days and what they were willing to do to uh, make it uh, make it uh, great for everybody in the sport. Uh, you had a lot of respect for each other and you admired and uh, you, uh, you just cared. You cared. It was a, it was a family. It, every wrestling territory was its own little family. And it made no difference whether you were heels or baby faces. You were there for each other to back up each other. And when somebody got hurt in a horrible deal like this one, uh, a lot of guys stepped up. Well, Ron, speaking of family, how's your excavation going? Well, let's see. We'll just go ahead and finish today with a little bit of archaeology. How about that? And, you know, and I'm getting a lot of comments. People like my archaeology. You know, I wish I knew more about it than what I do, but uh, we're going to go, uh, we're going to take a little bit of a few minutes here and talk a little bit of archaeology here. Uh, I'd spent by this point another week, late July, scraping the ground on an old Indian, American Indian camp near Manchester, Tennessee. Uh, my results in my plot, like I said earlier, everybody there, and there were about 25 students and another five to six or seven uh, people that were that knew what they were really doing, that were there to watch over and uh, and to take care of all the things, the artifacts that were being found and and uh, preserve them properly. Uh, so my results, my plot. Everybody had their own little ten by twenty foot square uh, area that they worked on, and the results of my plot. The one that was assigned to me just by accident turned out to be the best one again all week, that whole week, uh, and every week so far for that whole summer. So everyone in my group was spending a lot of time every day coming to hang out at my plot to see what else I was finding because nobody else was finding anything. And uh, now I was getting human bones, and uh, and I had a big, large piece of cloth. I couldn't believe it when I got down to that. had no idea it was even cloth. And uh, they brought in the head guy, and he got down in there with me, and, and he would take over when this happened. And I came across something that really needed to be handled carefully. And this cloth was one of the best things they found the entire uh, dig. It was an amazing piece, and they were able to to take that thing out almost totally. I couldn't believe uh, how it was all done. It was a real experience for me to watch the big guys, the real archaeologists, come in and how they handled these small pieces of bone and something like this, like a piece of cloth. And that piece of cloth, they predicted the guy that was working, the archaeologist that actually got it out, he, he, he estimated it was probably hundreds of years old. He didn't know how old it was, obviously. But they're going to find out when they take this stuff back to the University of Tennessee and they, uh, they put it through those tests to tell them the age. Uh, my plot was the only single one visited regularly by these real archaeologists because it was all, I had a lot of stuff I was finding, and I had the benefit of watching them, like I said, retrieve the spoils from my scraping. It was definitely the best producing plot the entire summer for this dig in Manchester, Tennessee, and had many different kinds of discoveries that even amazed the professionals. Uh, I, they found things in, I found things in my plot that were 
that they, even the pros were like, I've never seen this before. I've never seen one of these. So uh, strange how things work out. I'm not even a student at the University of Tennessee, much less taking a course in archaeology, and I'm finding more things than any of the other 24 real students combined. So my plot produces more stuff than the other 24 real students uh, all together produced. Uh, Pretty amazing what happened in that dig. Sounds like the Tennessee stud is a real prodigy when it comes to digging and I guess scraping, if we're going to be more accurate. But we'll have more about that next week here on the show. As we wrap things up, I want to remind you, you can stay in touch with the stud on Facebook. His page, Ron Fuller, the Tennessee stud. All you got to do is like that page and boom, you're instantly friends with a wrestling legend. You can follow the stud on Instagram and Twitter at Ron Fuller Welch. You can follow me on Twitter at Great Brian Last. You can follow the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network on Twitter, at Super Podcasts, and you can hear me on the 605 Super Podcast at 605pod.com or available wherever it is that you find your favorite podcasts. Of course, we want to mention once again, part one of Super Studcast number 21 is up right now with Brutus the Barber Beefcake. We talk about so much on this episode. Find out! Was the original Brutus Beefcake really a male stripper? Find out how did, I mean, geez, another guy we're talking about cutting hair. How did he get those hedge clippers in his hands for the very first time? Find out that and so much more. Hey, who stiffed him in Mid-South Wrestling and he still hasn't gotten over it? Hear that today, tnstud.com or patreon.com slash studcast. For only $2.99, you get in the door. It's the best deal in wrestling. Jump on it today. Saddle up today. Ron, where are we going next week? Well, we're going to be moving into August of 1975. I'm going to have a major problem with my uh, Tennessee tag champion (laughs) partner, the assassin, and his buddy, Rock Hunter. Uh, Tommy Siegler is going to win the first ever Southeastern TV championship. Uh, It's time to have a television champion. And, uh, and uh, he is going to be the initial champion for Southeastern Wrestling. Uh, we're actually uh, we got a lot of new talent coming in. Uh, we got a new German tag team combination, Carl von Steiger and Otto von Heller. Uh, the uh, Sam Bass is going to be coming in. We're going to have Norvell Austin arrive last week in August of 1975. And uh, the new TV's beginning to get some real traction, and we're going to be setting up for big fall season in 1975, except for the fact that I'm going to suffer a major injury in the month of August, uh, the first in my five years in the ring. Sounds like a packed show. By the way, here as we end the show, I want to make a quick mention. If anyone out there knows where Norvell Austin is today in 2019, get in touch with Ron or myself. We'd really like to know. But until then, Ron Fuller Studcast is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. For the Tennessee Stud Ron Fuller, I'm the great Brian Last. The story continues next week. Thanks for joining us today for this historic Studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson your friends and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.